Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This episode is brought to you by Flipboard, home of the insight, a new destination for the advertising industry, where news, data stories, and inspiration live all in one place. Find it all at theinsight.flipboard.com slash adweek. That's theinsight.flipboard.com slash adweek. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, TV, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor with Adweek. And uh, I've got a very exciting panel this week. Uh, back with us is our TV and media editor, Jason Lynch. Jason, it's always great to have you on the show. Hey, great to be here. And we've also got back Kelsey Sutton, a staff writer on the Technology Beat. Kelsey, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to have you back. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about our young influentials list of kind of the rising stars in the industries we cover at Adweek, which would be, you know, brand marketing, advertising, TV, uh, a lot of those fields that, uh, you know, we've, we've already discussed. And, uh, you know, it's going to be great to get Kelsey's perspective from the tech side and Jason from the TV side. And I'll try to weigh in on a few. Uh, but first, let's get to the news. Uh, we are recording this uh, the morning after learning of uh, the uh, passing of Will Vinton, uh, who is the man who uh, he coined the term claymation. Uh, he is the father in advertising circles, best known for being the father of the California Raisins, uh, the the Noid. If you were around in the eighties, uh, you may remember Domino's uh, Avoid the Noid campaign, one of the more odd. Uh, mascots in advertising history. Uh, he also once they once Will Vinton Studios moved into computer animation, they created the animated M and M's, which continue to be a long running campaign uh, for that brand. Uh, and that's among many other things. They they made uh, movies. They made a TV show. Uh, Jason, do you remember that one? The the PJs. Uh, I do, yeah. Eddie Murphy was uh, was the lead voice on that one. Yeah, yeah. They uh, that was. Uh, we'll we'll talk about in a, in a minute. Just what a kind of big and unfortunately negative turning point that was for them. That, that was when they really kind of tipped over and couldn't quite uh, scale their growth to be that big. It's one thing to make ads every once in a while. It's another to make a weekly television show that ran for, I believe, three seasons. Um, and uh, and that's when the company uh, kind of became something very different. Uh, but uh, I wanted to talk really quickly about uh, Vinton's career because we could go on quite a while. And then I wanted to share like a weird, just personal connection I have with this story, which I just never have really had a place to tell this. And so I'm going to make you guys <laughs> suffer through listening to it with me. But um, Vinton, as I mentioned, uh, he, he created the California Raisins. Uh, that was not the first thing he did. Uh, in the 70s, he won an Oscar for uh, an animated short called Closed Mondays. Uh, and that kind of set him off. That, that was very early, like the first few, um, uh, you know, um, what do you call it, like festivals and, you know, that they sent it to just flat out turned it down. Because it is this kind of acid trip claymation movie uh, or short about a museum that's when it's closed, kind of a night at the museum type situation. And uh, 
And so it got turned down by a bunch of folks, and then it got accepted. It actually played at Cannes, at the Cannes Film Festival, and it won, won an Oscar. And so that really launched him on this career. Uh, he went to Portland, Oregon, and formed uh, Will Vinton Studios. And by the mid '80s, you know they were just crushing it. They, like I said, they made the Noid for for Domino's. California Raisins was pitched by uh, FCB, the agency, uh, Foot Cone Building, and they, uh, you know, they they basically these this California Raisins growers uh, w- went to them and said, uh, you know, raisins aren't sexy. <laughs> like nobody, nobody's like chowing down on raisins and we got all this other junk food we're competing with. And so the creatives pitched it by literally doing a little dance number in front of the client and, uh, and like acted out what they wanted the ads to be. And the client bought it and they said, yeah, we're going to sing, uh, heard it through the grapevine, the cover of the Marvin Gaye song. And, uh, and yeah, that'll be it. That'll be the ad. And they said, sure, why not? And they gave him like $7 million. <laughs> and so they, they went and then they had to make it. So they go to Will Vinton Studios and they say, can you make this thing? And they spend a month uh, designing the, the California Raisins. And I'm sure there was some trepidation about whether this would even like make sense or work. Uh, the first ad came out. And it was a big hit. People really loved it. And, you know, within a year or two, anyone who was a child of the 80s, uh, Jason, I feel like you're kind of in my age range. It felt like these were on constantly when we were kids. Yeah, they were. And in fact, I remember some like talent show or something when I was, I want to say, sixth, seventh grade doing a kind of lip sync performance to this song, like with a trash, wearing a trash bag as a California raisin. (laughs) I. I have a memory uh, probably about 10 years after the first uh, California Raisin commercials were released, and I wasn't even born when they were released, but I have a memory of uh, my my parents, some of my parents' friends getting dressed up for Halloween as the California Raisin. So, you know, even 10 years after uh, it was released, it was still a huge cultural touchstone. I, I mean, in 2014, they were in a Super Bowl ad. Uh, you know, when the, uh, the, uh, Radio Shack did their, the eighties called, they want their store back. If you guys remember that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a scene where they like, you know, you just see the California raisins dancing on a shelf. I mean, obviously that's an eighties callback, but, and the, the raisins are still around. I was at a conference a few years ago and ran into, they had a display for the California raisins. Uh, and I was like, oh, and if you go to the, like the, the client that created those is gone. They kind of imploded under the weight of, you know, the cost of this whole thing. Uh, once it, it, around 1990, nobody cared anymore about the raisins. They like, they had a video game in production that they had to cancel. Uh, and, you know, they had a TV show, uh, Saturday morning cartoon. And all that, as these things do, all that imploded uh, pretty quickly. And that client actually kind of went out of business. You know, they were a growers association. But there's a new version of that now, the California Raisin Marketing Board. And they've resuscitated the the raisins. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I mean, they've just been this enduring icon. But now uh, I'm going to tell you guys my weird story. So before I was in advertising, uh, I worked at a newspaper in Grass Valley, California. It's a pretty small town. And I would get these phone calls uh, every day, uh, three times a day. Uh, sometimes when I was home at night, like at one in the morning, and I would come in and have like three 45-minute voicemails waiting for me. And it was always the same guy. And it was this guy named Bob. And he was really nice. Uh, and he would just talk for as long as I would listen. Literally just, if you would listen for hours, he would talk for hours. And it was, he was obviously not well um, but he would just kind of tell you these long conspiracy, you know, the stories. He was funny. He was clearly incredibly intelligent, uh, but also obviously not quite all there. And so he would, and, but he was nice. And so I, I didn't like hanging up on him. I would just kind of listen and work. And his stories rambled all over the place, but they had two or three recurring themes. One was the California Raisins. One was that he had won an Oscar. And the third was that my newspaper was part of a... Uh, global conspiracy uh, to destroy uh, Bob's life in league somehow with the California Raisins. Uh, And Will Vinton's name came up quite a bit. And at the time, I didn't know Will Vinton, uh, but it came up a lot. And so this was kind of the early Google days, but we did have Google. So I looked up, you know, Bob Gardner, did did he win an Oscar? No, he did not. So, you know, I was like trying to be nice enough to be like, is this guy telling the truth? Is he legit? He would call me every day. If I wasn't around, he would call like random other staffers. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the, and people were just like, well, he's nice, but he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's a lot. 
And uh, and then one day, uh, one of our freelancers comes in and says, uh, hey, uh, you know Bob Gardner? And I said, yeah, I mean, he calls me all the time. And they said, he, uh, he committed suicide last night. And I, I was like, oh, well, I mean, I, I don't know him personally, but that's that's awful. I mean, he seemed like a really, really, you know, good dude. I mean, he seemed seemed really nice, just obviously not quite, uh, you know, mentally healthy. And uh, but, you know, it was it was sad, but I just kind of was like, oh, well, and, and you know, these things happen, moved on. And the next morning I pick up the San Francisco Chronicle and there is a headline, I think even on the front page uh, or maybe on the Metro site, it said, uh Oscar winner Bob Gardner dies in Grass Valley. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it was real. <laughs> <Yeah>. True. <laughs> Turns out Bob Gardner spells his name uh, a bit different than you might expect. And back then, Google did not correct you or like offer alternatives. So he spells it G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R. And so it turns out Bob Gardner did win an Oscar with Will Vinton for creating Closed Mondays. They were... Um, they co-created the the short together, and then afterward, uh, Will Vinton went off to Portland, and they basically they split, um, and they they had a big different you know differences, and they split off, and uh, Bob ended up kind of bouncing around San Francisco and ended up in Grass Valley uh, where I lived, and uh, and so basically he had this conspiracy theory that Will Vinton had stolen claymation from him you know that bob was the creative and that vinton was just this like cold-blooded money maker like he was just the business guy and bob was the artist and that was kind of the theme of every every one of these and that every article that appeared about the california raisins every article that ever mentioned uh will vinton was part of this global conspiracy to ruin um bob gardner's life and to make him miserable and obviously not true, um, but uh, so when Will Vinton passed away, I was doing some research into his career, uh, and it turns out that he had his own kind of similar demons that haunted him over the years, uh, not so much in terms of like mental health, but he was trying to build uh, Will Vinton Studios into this, you know, huge uh, thing that could, that could create TV shows and create movies, but the you know, the it, the scale, they just couldn't keep up with the scale. And so the 90s come along, Toy Story comes out, right, in 1995. And people are like, oh, look at what we could be doing. Look how big we could get with this, you know, with animation. And so they, they get the PJs, they get a few other big projects, and they just can't keep up with the cost. They can't scale big enough to support it all. So they have to bring in an investor. Uh, and they bring in Phil Knight, uh, the uh, co-founder of uh, Nike, uh, who's obviously based in Portland, and he becomes an investor. Uh, he becomes uh, a, a, they keep and they keep kind of turning to him, being like, "Now we need a little more money. <laughs> now, now we need more. Now we need like two million more." And so eventually, around two thousand and three, he's the majority s- stakeholder in Will Vinton Studios. And he had also had his son working there. They had gotten gotten him a job. His son was a kind of a failed rapper named Chili T, I think. Uh, and so they had given him a job in animation. And he promotes his son to the board of directors once he gets stake and names him. Eventually, names him CEO. Fires Will Vinton, kicks him out of his own company. And Will Vinton's later years were just really difficult, like feeling like he had lost everything that he had worked so hard to build. He had a 12-year battle with cancer. Uh, and so, it, you know, just uh, is fascinating to me, like hearing all this from Bob's point of view and then finding out that Will Vinton was going through the same thing where he spent the next few years just being like, oh, the, the corporate machine crushed me and drove me out. Uh, and, uh, and sure enough, Travis Knight, uh, uh, Phil Knight's son, is still the CEO of uh, what is what is now called Leica. They've rebranded. Uh, some of you may recognize that name. They, they produced the Coraline movie. They made uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh, just came out, and Travis actually directed that. Uh, it turns out he's a pretty good animator. Um, I guess better than, than he is a rapper. And, uh, and so, like, just... There, there's not, like, a great moral here to this story, but just... What a, I, I could not stop reading articles about this last night when I was researching Will Vinton, just of like, what a crazy world this has been. Uh, so there you go. There's my, there's my weird <laughs> personal <laughs> time. Thank, thank you both for tolerating that, that incredibly long tangent. I appreciate it. 
I feel like anybody, you know, myself included, who has worked at a newspaper, um, you know, that you have that guy who kind of calls in, um, you know, just like just like you were called, and and you know, you're really not sure what to make of him. He just, you know, so it's it's in, it's interesting to to hear, um, you know, that sometimes that there is there is a story behind, um, you know, what you kind of may have made the the vision that you have for this person that just seems to kind of call every week or so and kind of rant incoherently into the phone to a journalist. Yeah, not not to get too deep, but it, like both of these stories really sadden me in this idea of like you, you like to think that your career is kind of always going to be on an upward trajectory or that you'll at least someday just be able to enjoy the fruits of all your labors. And both of these guys like were such visionaries uh, and made such incredible things. And then both of them in their later years were just kind of consumed in large part by the the bitterness of, of how it all got, you know, taken out from under them or at least they perceived it that way. Uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting that with Le- with Leica and they spun off the advertising division of Will Vinton Studios is now called House Special. I think um, they, uh, you know, they've been successful. So, so it's like it's not safe. Phil Knight was wrong. <laughs> like he's he just uh, had the business acumen to actually turn Will Vinton Studios into something that could become. You know, they're not Pixar, uh, but they're pretty. You know, Kubo and the Two Strings is a real good movie. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful movie, and Coraline too. I yeah. had no idea that that was uh, connected to Will Vinton, though. Yeah. So, uh, well, I, again, I appreciate everyone listening to this. Uh, it was a story that was weirdly personal to me and, and just a fascinating kind of uh, reason to go back through all the way back to the 80s. Uh, my other favorite Will Vinton story is that, like, one day in 1989, he gets a phone call and it's Michael Jackson. Like, not Michael Jackson's handler or agent or whatever. It's Michael Jackson. <laughs> And he just calls him and he's like, I want to do a uh, a California Raisins ad. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And Michael Jackson's like, you'll have to pay me. I'll do it for free. <laughs> and, and, so, and so they made, uh, oh, hell, let's listen to it. We'll, we'll, we'll listen to the uh, Michael Jackson cover of the Marvin Gaye cover <laughs> and the, of how it worked out. It was It's one of the more memorable uh, from this series. Yeah, he, uh, Michael Jackson just really wanted to do that and was like super hands-on in designing the character and designing the raisin, uh, choreographing every dance step. Man, just it's such a such a slice of the '80s. It was it was fun to go back to. All right, uh, I did want to talk about one other news thing. Uh, speaking of, man, it's it's all retro all the time. Jason, uh, mm-hmm. ABC is bringing back a classic. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so um, I think by the time this comes out, this will have been kind of last Friday um, that ABC, you know, so so in TV now, we've got reboots, we've got revivals of shows, but ABC is now reviving a whole brand. Uh, last Friday, they brought TGIF back, which was their incredibly successful programming block of family-themed sitcoms that uh, ran from, for, you know, for, for the, all of the 90s. I think it actually launched in, eight, in 1989 and went till 2000, and you remember shows like Full House or Family Matters? Um, you know those were those were part of the TJF lineup. So it's been it's been away for a bit, and uh, and it came back on Friday. They're trying to relaunch the brand with uh, Speechless and Fresh Off the Boat, which are two great sitcoms, and then they're pairing it with this uh, with this family game show, Child Support. So um, you know we have again this kind of wave of of all these '90s shows coming back. Now we have a 90s programming block coming back. Yeah, what what are some of the I feel like there've been a few of these that have been successful where networks have managed to like create this appointment television of hey this one night is really good. What 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 are some of the others? I, well, I like the, this this is one of the most successful ones by far. The other big one that has st- has stood out um, in recent history is Must See TV, which was NBC's Thursday night lineup. Um, ABC also has TGIT, which is their Thursday night uh, dramas that are produced by Shonda Rhimes. So that is still going. They launched that in 2014. But I would say that Must See TV and TGIF are kind of like the the, the two the two biggest ones of the past few decades. So, I mean, is this still 
I mean, obviously, it's still a bit of a thing, but the, we talk a lot on the show and, and in general about how TV is no longer – it's now much more of an on-demand kind of you know, industry. Uh, do you feel like this, they're still going to see success by lumping these together and branding it this way? Uh, it, it's it's an it's certainly an interesting idea, and I think yes. I mean, I I think that you don't. There's not as much live TV viewing as there used to be. I think what what ABC is seeing here is that this idea of co-viewing, and and as a family, that there just are not many shows that you can sit down as a family and watch. And Friday night is is kind of a good time to do that. You know, the it's it's the weekend. You know, if you have uh, a lot of times, if you have kids kind of that age, you know, maybe they're not quite going out yet, so you're looking for something to do. You're looking for something to watch. Maybe you're having a sleepover and you're looking for something to watch. So, so the idea is that is that that is there. Um, you know, the buyers I wrote about this and the the, the buyers that I spoke to feel like, yeah, it's not going to resonate as much as it did back in the day because of you know people watching TV differently, but. You know, it's still um, anytime you can kind of brand a night. You know, there there's um, there's kind of some value there, and and certainly there are a lot of advertisers and a lot of categories that um, you know you're on a Friday night as you're making plans for the weekend. You know, that that's a great time to target families. So you know, you can see theatrical and you can see retail and you can see kind of some other other categories like that. Um, you know, it's a good opportunity there. So you know, we'll we'll see. It's it's not going to be what it was, but um, but you know, I think it's. It's it's still it's an interesting idea. Um, one thing that I was I had forgotten about when I was researching this story is that ABC actually revived this brand once before uh, in in uh, two thousand five um, for for two years and it wasn't very successful. That was also in part because the the shows that they had at that time weren't as kind of great as 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 TGIF back in its heyday it was a show called Hope and Faith with Faith Ford and Kelly Ripa and then it was a, a George Lopez show so um you know they they've tried it didn't have as much success you know I will say Speechless is one of my favorite shows Fresh Off the Boat is another great show so this could be um a good opportunity for ABC I you know it won't it won't be what it was but uh but it's still an interesting swing for them Kelsey, do you have any appointment shows that you try to watch live or that you really make time for as soon as possible after they come out? Uh, I am a classic cord never. Uh, <laughs> I've never had a cable in my house, so I don't really do that. But I think something that is appealing about a good appointment television is only as good as the programs that you're offering. People, I think, will tune in if something is good. I think about... Jane the Virgin, which is one of my favorite shows. Uh, that's a show that I would go over to a friend's house to watch when it was airing because it's important for me to watch it when it comes out. So that's a really powerful thing. I think that because Speechless and Fresh Off the Boat are on this new lineup, that's a, it's a testament to the importance of having a really, really compelling uh, uh, shows so that people will feel like they need to tune in on a Friday night because Friday is a, is a tough, uh, a tough time. Uh, but if, as Jason said, if you're younger, if you're just getting started on the weekend and you want to sit down as a family, then, then it's a good, it's a good spot to aim for. I think the only thing I can really think of recently where I've, I've seen friends really, you know, coordinating a live viewing is like, uh, season premiere of Game of Thrones kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Where it's like... Yeah, definitely. Where it's an event. And even that's almost more just like, well, this one time. It's more like a party. Like, we'll get everybody together for this first showing. Um, but even then, I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'll watch it the next day. <laughs> the streaming, I'll be fine. <laughs> well, uh, that's hard. People people are, you know, more and more, that's that's the way people are consuming it. They're say, they say, well, I'm, I'm doing something on Friday. I'll watch this on Sunday afternoon. I'll just avoid uh, Twitter for... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like no one talked to me about this show. Don't spoil it. And I'll I'll catch up in two days or in one day or, you know, d- depending on the, the show. But there is there is value in in the, the day of sort of viewing. All right. Uh, well, it is time to move on to uh, the show, the ads that we actually think are worth taking the time to look at each week. We call it ads worth watching. 
We're going to get a little uh, meta this time because the ad that we think is worth watching is ads about advertising and entering advertising awards. Pretty niche audience, but I still really enjoy these ads, maybe because it's we're we're deep in the in the you know in the bowels of the ad industry, obviously. Uh, but I, I think anyone can appreciate this because every industry has some equivalent of this. Uh, TV certainly does. Is uh, basically the impact that winning an award has on you and your career and how much people respect you differently once you've won a major award, whatever that be, in, in your different industries. Um, the the spe- Specifically, this is for the one show, uh, which is one of the biggest uh, advertising uh, awards. Uh, the uh, You can win pencils in this. Is, I think it's just bronze, silver, gold uh, pencil. So a gold pencil is kind of the big, the big prize that you can win in the one show. They've uh, rolled out a new call for entry campaign, uh, basically announcing that they're accepting entries for the next one. Uh, and the, the premise of these ads is that uh, when you, if you're just some, you know, workaday drone in an agency and you either need something or you need help with something or you want to get promoted, uh, that basically people will treat you like garbage <laughs> until you, until you've won something in this case, a gold pencil at the one show. Uh, so they are, uh, they are obviously, uh, pretty sarcastic. They're from Toronto agency Zulu Alpha Kilo. And uh, they, uh, yeah, let, let's let's give a listen to my personal favorite uh, is, I think it's called We Quit. And it's about two creatives who approach their creative director basically saying that they're leaving. And we hear two different ways that she responds. Uh, one is when they have not won an award and one is in a parallel universe where they won two gold pencils. So let's listen to that one. Hey, we just wanted to let you know that... We're resigning. Oh no. So, so thank you. Okay. Good luck, Tony and Jaden. Daniel. It's the dream team. How are you? <laughs> we just wanted to let you know that we're resigning. No, you're not. We wanted to thank you for helping us win our first two pencils. It was, it was awesome. No, 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 no. So what do you want? A raise? How about my parking spot? We don't drive. <laughs> the other one that I think actually there was one that it doesn't work as well on audio, uh, but I think it's more of the favorite just because it's such a classic office moment is a woman requesting a newer or a bigger monitor. And the IT, the IT guy who's walking by just basically ignores her. Um, and then the same scenario, except she has a gold pencil. <laughs> he just walks into someone else's office and like rips the monitor off the desk. <laughs> and just, like, I like that one too. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you won't be needing this loser. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I don't know how realistic that one is compared to the, like, you don't, as a creative director, you don't want to lose your award-winning creatives, cause, and which is certainly a problem. And a lot of agencies have mixed feelings on awards in general because it does lead to poaching. You know, it's it's you're surfacing up your talent in a way that's going to make you have to pay them more and uh, give them more job offers. Uh, but uh, so, so it's a reality. I, I think the, oh, the other one was uh, the third ad in this campaign was from uh, the perspective of an award show jury uh, where this real blowhard creative is sitting around talking about um, how this this ad is garbage it's hackneyed everyone's done this before and and he won't listen to this woman who's saying uh, no this ad's great and you know, I, I'm on an award show jury for advertising on the Epco Awards which is made up of journalists and I can't say that that specific type of person is, has been on there but certainly this argument that they're having of Oh, I've seen this ad done before. It's, you know, whatever. This isn't original. This isn't new. And then they show a version where she has a uh, uh, a one-show pencil. And suddenly this other person is just like, you're absolutely right. What a good point. <laughs> you really know your stuff. Uh, I love, so I, I love the idea of these people walking around in their offices carrying their awards <laughs> everywhere they go and setting them prominently on their desk. <laughs> I yes. know that's obviously a metaphor, but it's it's kind of it was funny to me visually to to see that going on. Yeah, yeah, because it's like I mean, you would actually in real life hate that person, especially <laughs> like, like, if she if she brought it to a judging panel. <laughs> like, she's, 
<laughs> she like brings her trophy and just puts it in front of her. And like in that in that ad, the uh, the other guy is is the bad guy, right? He's the, like the person you're supposed to hate. But I'm like, the more you think about it, everyone would hate the the juror who brings their their gold pencil to <laughs> no the good pen award. <laughs> yeah. Just a reminder to everyone. Um, I remember I, I won some uh, I won some trophy when I was at an ad agency, and I I uh, I went to pick it up, and it was. It was an experiment. It was a new award. And what they did is they made the, – the idea was supposed to be that you were like parts of the engine that make the marketing community work. So all of these trophies were individually made from different parts of a car engine, which is you know clever and neat. Um, and that mine was made out of a camshaft. And so it weighs like literally 25 pounds. Like it is a ridiculous <laughs> is it, trophy. Is it actually the – Camshaft? Yeah, like they sawed a camshaft into three parts and put them like next to each other, um, and uh, and so they. I walk up to the the front, uh, you know, to the awards thing. It's not a big. This wasn't like a big fancy show. It was kind of a luncheon thing. And I walk up and I, I pick up the award and I'm just thinking like, whoa, this thing's heavy. And I walk back to my table and just as a joke, I thought it would be funny to kind of slam it down in front of the guy from another ad, ad agency who was sitting, <laughs> sitting next to me. And it goes like, bang, and like shakes the whole room. <laughs> just like, and I just still try to play it off like, yeah, buddy, you re- remember that. <laughs> I think I think he actually listens to this podcast. Hey, Michael, if you're listening. Hope you still remember that moment. Um, all right. So, it, w- Jason, what did you think of these? I mean, is this a thing in TV? Uh, once you've won, you know, a, a legit TV award, do people treat those folks differently? Uh, I mean, you know, maybe for an Emmy. Um, but, you know, what what I really liked about this is that, and I think this time, you know, certainly I think that somebody, everybody at Adweek is going through right now where working in so many different awards and there's also so many awards on the industry and there is this question of like, ah, well, how is this one different from the other one? And like, should we even bother? What does this mean? And and, and I do love the fact that um, that you know that they're you know what they're doing with this is, is saying like no th- this th- this is really important and this is you know this this <clears throat> this is something that you know even even if the award itself like you could maybe technically say that about any award that anybody would win but I kind of love that they're saying no you know our, this is what our award will do for you this is why you should care about about this this is why you should put the effort in so it was just it was a great way to make to make this stand out and what can just be kind of a, a sea of of advertising awards that almost become interchangeable especially when the same campaigns end up winning so many of them and, and i will i will say too that they are that they're not bullshitting in the sense that like this isn't just some third tier award you know what i mean that it's not like this is some up and coming award the one show's been around for quite a while it's definitely a legitimate big deal uh to win a gold pencil uh just like dnad uh which also awards pencils for some reason um those both of those awards are not well known in this in the way that the clios and the emmys are are known um in among the mainstream but among creatives those are much more i i would honestly say that winning a top award at dnad which is a very design and creative based uh award show that that's a that's more respected internally within the industry than winning at can is um just because it feels like less of a circus and it feels like it's more harshly judged um and so you know it, that was nice where i would have loved these ads no matter what but at least it's a legitimate uh you know statement that winning a gold pencil really is a, a career changer i don't know it's that people who work for you work with you you know are really they will probably actually give you a harder time but uh, you know there's still something to be said all right uh we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back for our big discussion of the week which is about our young influentials list of kind of the big movers and shakers coming up in the industries we cover. We'll be right back with that. Did you know that 80% of people reading about street style are also reading about business? Discover more about our audience and the content they love in The Insight, a Flipboard destination for advertising industry news and inspiration. Find it all at theinsight.flipboard.com slash adweek. That's the insight flipboard.com slash adweek. All right. Uh, we're going to be talking about our young influentials list. This is one of my favorite features that Adweek does because, you know, we do a lot of lists, a lot of honors, and my favorites are the ones where you... You may know one or two of the bigger names, uh, and it's always fun to see ones where you're like, yeah, they deserve, you know, they deserve to get 
the press and the attention for what they're doing. Uh, but honestly, I love finding out about people I've never heard of, uh, you know, the ones who are really behind the scenes and making things happen and who a, a few years from now are going to be uh, a really big deal. Uh, we've certainly had a great pedigree of that uh, going back several years of these folks do end up being uh, some of the biggest names in their industries. Uh, Jason, tell us who's on the cover uh, this year. So this year we have Constance Wu on the cover, who has been on Fresh Off the Boat. We were just talking about TGIF a little early on. That's going to be one of the TGIF shows. She's been on that for several seasons. But this was a really breakout year for her because she starred in Crazy Rich Asians, which was the first um, kind of U.S. movie uh, that featured a largely Asian-American and Asian cast in 25 years and was a huge hit. And what, what were some of the, the things we learned about her? I mean, obviously, we know about uh, the work she's done and, and a lot of people have been you know, talking about Crazy Rich Agents and, uh, and Fresh Off the Boat. But what, what are some things we learned uh, from our conversation with her? Uh, well, it was a really interesting, um, it was really interesting discussion with her because she is somebody that even before um, she kind of had her moment, she has not been afraid about being very outspoken about a number of things. Certainly, um, Asian American representation in Hollywood has been a big thing with her. But even last year, uh, or I would say two, two years ago, before. Before the Me Too, Me Too movement, she was one of the only voices that was kind of criticizing the Academy after Casey Affleck was nominated uh, for, for Best Actor for Manchester by the Sea. He had had a few uh, sexual harassment allegations in his past. And she was, you know, front and center about talking about that. And even, you know, she says to me, like, I lost opportunities because of that. This is something, but I, this is, this is just the way I've always been. And for me, you know, activism is something that's, that's tied into what my craft seeks to do in the world. She, she is, it's just part of who she is and, uh, and she doesn't want to change that. And she, you know, even now that, that she, you know, has become, you know, has such a high profile now because of crazy rich, crazy rich agents, she talked about how she is been approached to to do some sponsorships. She's she's turned them down because she wants the right fit, and she knows that you know it's 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 kind of an amazing thing for you know an, an Asian American woman to be asked to be the face of a cosmetics campaign. But uh, but you know she she kind of wants to do what feels right for her, and that's something that she's really stuck to throughout her whole career. And and even now, you know, she's still banging the drum. For Asian American representation, she's saying, you know, one one hit, you know, one TV show and one movie doesn't doesn't change that. That doesn't tell everybody's story, and you know, Hollywood shouldn't think that all of a sudden we're done now. You know, she she compares it to when you clean your kitchen and you say, okay, my kitchen my kitchen is clean now. I'm done. Well, that's not really true because you know, in a couple days and a couple weeks, your your kitchen's going to start to get dirty again. If you don't do the maintenance you're going to kind of have the same problem that you had before. So she's really saying Hollywood needs to do the same maintenance maintenance when it comes to this issue. So she is still going to be, you know, just a loud, uh, loud of a voice as she's ever been on that front. I loved, I loved that quote from her that you have Jason in the piece about how representation is not just checking one box. It's, it's a process and it's an ongoing thing, just like, Cleaning your cleaning your kitchen is <laughs> so taking care of air car, making sure the dishes don't get piled up in the sink. I think that was a really great metaphor, and and it's her outspokenness about this issue. I think is is one of the reasons that it's really great that she's she's on our cover. I, I remember uh, Joy Luck Club came out when I was in college, and I remember reading all these think pieces in print. Obviously, at the time, this in the mid nineties, and. Uh, you know, talking about, oh, is this this turning point for Hollywood of, you know, in terms of diversity and respecting Asian audiences and Asian talent uh, and really opening up what we see as as an American story to tell? And sadly, the answer kind of proved to be no. And I yeah, mean, it's, and it. And in fact, that was the last movie when we talked about this was the first movie in 25 years with a, uh, Asian, an, an Asian-American cast. Joy Luck Club was the last movie um, that, that kind of checked that box off. Jeez. So, you know, same thing with Fresh Off the Boat, which, you know, she was also in, which was also groundbreaking. That was the first sitcom, or it was first TV show in, in, in two decades about an Asian-American family. And the last one of that was uh, an ABC show with Margaret Cho called All-American Girl. And those same conversations that you were mentioning, David, were happening then. Oh, does it, you know, this finally means, you know, these stories are being told. Well, the stories then weren't told for another two decades. 
Well, let's talk about the other big name on there. Squeaking in just under our kind of, we do try to keep this to people under 40. Uh, and I believe Jordan Peele is 39, but <laughs> I'm glad we, we snuck him in. Um, but uh, man, what an incredible few years. I'm curious, Jason, going back when you were first watching, you're obviously the closest TV observer I know. Uh, when Key and Peele first came out, did you, you know, did you look at that and think these, these guys are really going to, are going to go on to great things? Uh, I mean, I, 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 I did, but I would have never predicted that Jordan Peele would take this path. You know, I think certainly when you saw like they popped up in a supporting role in, uh, in the first season of Fargo and you're like, okay, that's interesting. Like I can see them doing more things acting wise, but I never knew that, that he had this in him. I remember when he first announced that he was doing get out and it's like, oh, that that's interesting. It's an, you know, he's going to do a little horror film that, that, that's, that's, that's a nice idea. Um, and then you get out just became huge and, and he is, he has taken that and he is just doing so many interesting things behind the camera right now. Some, some that people are aware of and many that they're not. So he won an Academy Award for best original screenplay for, for get out. He, uh, but he produced the new Spike Lee film, black, uh, black Klansman. He, uh, is one of the producers on the new Tracy Morgan, Tiffany Haddish TBS sitcom, the last OG. He's also producing a ton of other shows, including one of the ones I'm most excited about, which uh, CBS All Access is going to be doing a revival of The Twilight Zone, which he is not only going to be executive producing, but he is going to be the new host. He's going to be the new Rod Serling. So uh, it's just an incredible, it's such an exciting career what he is doing. Um, I just wish that we would see him in front of the camera a little bit more. Um, he is a voice on one of my favorite shows, um, this animated series on Netflix called Big Mouth, which season two just came out. So we still hear him a little bit, but um, he's, it's just an, been an incredible couple of years for him. The, uh, well, let's talk about some of the lesser known names on here. Uh, Kelsey, who did you write up on the, on this year's list? Sure. Uh, I wrote uh, very much on the tech side, um, not in the, the TV side, but uh, Pooja Kapoor, who's head of GDPR, data trust and ecosystem uh, at Google. Uh, and the reason that, that we chose her uh, is because GDPR obviously was a huge uh, pivotal moment for the industry, and she was really key in helping steer marketers through that change. Um, and she's also been leading a lot of, or helping helping the industry adjust to all these other big changes too, particularly ads.txt, which is changing the way that ad ad inventory is verified. Uh, very tech heavy stuff, um, but it's having a huge impact on the industry um, in, in digital media. And and she, when I talked to her, she's just such a tech whiz. She took apart her first computer in middle school and knew that she loved technology and wanted to work in it and then started on the ad op side. And, and now she's at Google. Uh, and she describes herself as the voice of the customer all the time, trying to make sure that all the marketers who work with Google know what's know what's going on, and that she can can advocate for for them from where she is sitting. Quite a few other tech folks on the list, of course, this year. Any others that jumped out at you, uh, even if you didn't write them up, but ones that uh, that you definitely think we're going to be hearing a lot more about these folks? Uh, we have uh, well, I. I Coming off of Brand Week, we wrote about Away, and we have Jen Rubio, who's the president and chief brand officer at Away, who's on our Young Influentials list. Um, and then the CMO of Squarespace uh, is also on the on our list. We have a really great list this year. Um, we also have Ronan Farrow, who's uh, a journalist uh, who wrote, along with Jane, uh, Jane Meyer at The New Yorker, all of the stories over the past uh, year about Harvey Weinstein and Eric Schneiderman and... So I'm glad we're giving him a shout out as well. Although he's not on the tech side, he is very much on the media side. Um, and he's been, he's been, I think, un influential is maybe an understatement for the the work that he has been doing over there. Yeah, Jason, I, f I feel like um, Ronan Farrow is is kind of one of the first, I hate to use the word celebrity journalist, but you know what I mean? Like so journalists with people that actually have a household name. Now, I mean, clearly he's, you know, he's the, the son of celebrities, but he has earned this career, uh, absolutely. Uh, but it, yeah, it just feels like this is a rare thing we just don't see very often of, of journalists who have this kind of uh, reputation. And, and there's jokes that go around. I mean, it's kind of a dark humor, but whenever some, I, I see people say, ooh, I saw Ronan Farrow was trending on Twitter. 
<laughs> and they all just like everyone grabs their popcorn and is like who's getting taken down <laughs> yeah the the other thing that's really been um incredible about his career is that you know people almost forget that he had an MSNBC show that kind of nobody really watched and nobody cared about and 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 he it almost was like once he left TV and you know I know he he will still do some TV but I think the feeling was okay well what what is he going to do now? Or you know his his you know maybe his time is, has kind of come and gone already, and it's just been fascinating to 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 watch um, his evolution, his career evolution, and, and and what he is doing now. Where you know when you hear like oh yeah, there's going to be a new Ronin story this week, and you know who's it going to be about? Like what's going to happen now? And it's uh, he's kind of captivated the media in the last year in a way that I don't think anybody else has. Uh, one of my other like kind of quasi household names that's on the list this year is Joel Embiid from the Philadelphia 76ers. I I do not follow basketball. I'm the first to admit uh, it's it's not it's not one of my my games. Uh, but I love Joel Embiid. Like he he is just such this modern kind of social media savvy celebrity. He's he's known as the you know the process because uh, he came out of this very convoluted strategy uh, that the 76ers had of trying to be as bad as they could, kind of like the original major league movie of like if we're just bad enough uh i think in major league they were trying to maybe sell or something like that but in in real life the 76ers were just trying to earn a you know a a good enough pick in the draft that they could get a superstar and build a new team around it and that's what they've done with uh, joel Embiid. but super funny on twitter because he's involved in this really catty uh ownership uh change where the the current owners uh kind of downplay that that entire strategy uh, and he, he has, it, we don't even have time to go into it. Reply All has done at least one or two episodes about uh, his involvement in that in that uh, back and forth. But uh, just a really fascinating person on and off the court and uh, and has really showing how athletes can go beyond just, uh, you know, sponsorships and being good at the game. And, uh, you know, he's really being part of the conversation. Uh, Jason, were there any other names that uh, you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, what, what, one other person on the TV side that I was really excited about that we were able to, to get in there. And again, speaking to what you said earlier about getting you know in early on, on somebody who I think is, is going to be a, you know, much, a much kind of bigger name, bigger force in the coming years was Janet Mock, who um, is actually, you know, years ago was, was a former colleague of mine at People. She was uh, an editor at People.com. But since then, she has become um, a kind of a trans uh, advocate and trans activist. She's written two memoirs about her own journey, but in the last year, she has made history kind of over and over again as a writer on um, this FX series Pose from Ryan Murphy, which was one of my favorite new shows from this year. Uh, when she met with, with Ryan Murphy, she didn't even know what Pose was. By the time she left that meeting, she had been offered a writing job. She became the first trans woman of color to be a writer on a uh, on, on a regular TV show. And then... Um, was named a producer and became the first uh, trans woman of color to be a producer, and then she directed an episode in that first the, the first season as well. So she just kind of keeps shattering these 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 ceilings, and uh, and it's it's a great show. And uh, I think that she is, you know, this is somebody who a year ago hadn't even really thought about uh, a career in the TV industry. And I think now, um, you know, this is something where whether it's going to be on Pose or or maybe doing some other shows with or without Ryan Murphy, I think that this is going to be a new, really exciting voice um, in TV as we go forward. Uh, Kelsey, I did want to get your thoughts on one last person, uh, even though our colleague Anne-Marie Alcantara wrote the the piece about Jeff Miller, who's the global head of creative strategy at Snap Inc. I just feel like Snapchat is such a uh, it's at such a weird moment in its in its life cycle. It's at this like precipice moment. Uh, or, I mean, maybe I'm just being anecdotal, but I'm curious on your take of he is involved in the ad strategy, ad creative side, which I do think Snapchat is still kicking ass on on like the, the interesting things they do with their ad units compared to Instagram. Uh, but otherwise, I, I don't know what's your take on, on Snapchat these days. I mean, he you're you're right. They've been doing really, really interesting stuff. They did uh a, a, a AR lens and Snapchat. They've done shoppable ads. They've really pushed the envelope when it comes to making Snap uh, valuable for advertisers. And uh, it's interesting his his history. He was at Ogilvy and Mather, uh, and then he was at PepsiCo, and and so he's he's touched all the sides of the <laughs> of the industry before arriving at a platform that really you know relies on 
on the clients and the agencies uh, to to make it all make that magic happen. Uh, I, I think Snapchat is still so so important for for young consumers, uh, and it's. It's really, really interesting to see how mobile uh, ads are going to continue to change and how they're going to continue to to develop these really interesting ways of of pushing, uh, you know, working with brands to come up with with these really interesting and short too. You know, people don't people don't like pre roll and mid roll the same way that advertisers do, and so it's it's interesting to watch a platform take such a such a lead in in coming up with these really interesting new ways to to you know, a lens on, on Snap is a valuable place for a brand to be. And, and he's really been taking charge on that. I, you know, this is like the nerdiest thing I could possibly say, but I, I, I stopped using Snapchat once uh, Instagram stories really kind of came along because it, it fills my needs, which are very minimal of like staying on top of what's happening in the Adweek newsroom since I'm not based there. It's my, my best way of keeping tabs on all that. <laughs> I definitely know when there's a dog in the Adweek newsroom. It is floods my feeds, uh, but <laughs> but, um, but the one thing I miss about Snapchat is the ads, which is like I said, it's just the dumbest thing. But the ads were just so much more interesting and and interactive in a smooth way. Where like Instagram ads are like swipe up and you'll go to a landing page. You know what I mean? And like the Snapchat ones, those early ads where they're. Oh, you know, swipe up on this video and then you'll see a 30 minute, I mean, a 30 minute, like a, you know, a 30 second longer version and you'll see this interactive thing. And just the interface felt more natural and just kind of interesting than just like, here is ad, swipe up on ad, you know, um, I don't know. It's just the one thing I feel like I should check into Snapchat more often, but it's one, it's one of those things if you're not following anybody there, if you're not really talking to anybody on it anymore, uh, you're not, you're not going to log in just to see ads. Yeah. Well, that's why Instagram and Facebook rolled out stories in the first place. You know, that's, that's the, that's the future. A lot of people are betting on that, that, that stories and that those little, uh, vertical videos are, are the path forward. I love whenever to this day, whenever Instagram rolls out a feature, it's like, do you remember this thing from Snapchat two years ago? No. <laughs> Here's a new feature. Like they literally just added the equivalent of snap tags. Uh, to yeah. <laughs> they're calling they're calling it like badges or something like that. But I was like, yes, I remember that feature when I like first downloaded Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are out of time for this week's episode, but I had so much fun uh, talking to both of you. Uh, Kelsey, it was so great having you back on the show. I will have to have you back soon. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. And Jason, we didn't even like talk fall TV or anything. We have so many more things. We'll definitely have to drag you back on kicking and screaming sometime soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. Uh, our music is by Home. This episode was edited by Lane McGivney and produced by Andre Fernando. Uh, please take a moment, if you haven't already, to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews help new listeners discover the show, and they also just make us feel good, unless you say we're a bunch of dumbasses or something. But when they're positive, they make us feel really good. So thank you for that. Uh, I'm David Greiner with Adweek, and we will be back next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.